0: Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leila Sabristine. And on this show, we bring on guests who share their personal story, as well as experts in different fields, so we can dive into the topics that are affecting you and your life. And we also have lots of professionals and students listening to the show. So I love the fact that we have a dialogue in our community. So on today's episode, we're going to be speaking about how to treat someone with a disability. And I want to mention episode 43 that was recently from July with Genius Steven. And on that episode, we talked about creating a vision for your child's life. Uh, When someone has a disability, you are forced to make certain decisions that in another situation with a child who didn't have those disabilities, it would just go with the flow and move from grade to grade and kind of move along life without having to make big decisions, whereas the journey with a child who's disabled is very different. So I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Chaya Gluckhout is a parenting coach and also does marriage counseling, and she's going to share her story and her perspective. So welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: Thank you for coming on. So,
1: Chaya, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So, first, I'd like to start with that I'm a mother of seven, and I have I, 20-year-old triplets that were born when I was 24, Then I have a 17-year-old, and I have an 11-year-old, and I have twins that just turned five. So as a parent, I have experience with teens, now young adults, and toddlers, and multiple. So I like to share a lot of my own personal experience with my parents, with classes, from my own error and trial experiences. And that's what I, I learn a lot from them, and I teach from them. Uh,
0: incredible. Wait,
1: so when you became a mother, you had one, two, and three? <laughs> yeah, right away. Right away, I started off with three. I didn't know, I never knew what it was like to just have, you know, one child But both parents are like taking care of one child and all around that one child. And, you know, two parents do the diaper and the feeding and everything. And me and my husband were always juggling between us. You know, someone has to feed, someone has to do the diapers. And thank God it's been a wonderful journey. And uh, at, the, at the beginning, you know, I started off with very, very confident, in myself, in how I wanted to raise my triplets. I started with the triplets, so I had very confident ideas of how I wanted to raise them, and it actually went very, very well as when they were babies, and obviously it started to become more complicated for me when as they got older and entered the school system. So um, I'll address that, I think, a little bit later. Uh, I would also like to add that I was born, well, I was diagnosed as deaf when I was two and a half, almost three years old, I was diagnosed as deaf, and the doctor who diagnosed me um, told my parents that I would never learn how to speak and listen. That's what they told my parents. This was in Toronto, Canada, and my parents, um, they told my parents, you know, you have to send your daughter to the school for deaf, and she's going to have to learn signing, and that's it. You don't have another choice. Now, thank God for my parents and, they, and their own, you know, um, sense, I don't know, you know, their own belief in themselves, belief in their child. First of all, they, they could not believe it. I was already almost three years old. And to them, they saw a child that was very, very functional. They say that I was a pretty good girl. I was pretty functional. I was a happy child. And I did what I was supposed to do. And they were pretty amazed how I was amazed at how much I was able to do without hearing. So they said, if this is how much she's capable of without hearing. We're not going to send her away to a deaf school we think that she could do way more we just have to help her with her hearing now back then and I saw that you mentioned it in one of your episodes you know parents how do they get their information it wasn't um through the internet where you find tons of options no back then you you know you spoke to people you looked it up like you said in the phone book yeah and you didn't get that much variety of information and it happens to be that they met not happened to me I believe that everything is. um with a purpose, they, they met someone in the doctor's office that was orthodox and they just pointed each other out and they introduced themselves. And they, the other couple told my parents, you know, our daughter is also diagnosed deaf and we are teaching her to speak and listen through auditory verbal, which was mm-hmm. in Toronto. And they right the gave my parents a number. So this is basically all the information my parents had, you know, what the doctor said and what these parents said. No Google, no internet. And that's what they did. And they went and they followed, got this number, and they were told that we can teach your daughter how to speak and listen. We just have to give her the right technology and um, give her the right hearing aids and, you know, adjust them properly according to her hearing. And they teach her from from the basics. I'm gonna start from the basics. That I was close to three when I got my first pair of hearing aids. And my parents took me to auditory verbal sessions once a week. And my mother, I have to say, worked with me all the time at home, like all the time to catch me up on all the sounds, on the listening. And, and I have memories, not from when I was three, but I have memories of her um, putting words all over the house yeah. and having me, you know, you know, read the word or say the word. I don't think I could read yet, but say the word and just like a reminder to keep saying the word or she wouldn't stop talking to me. She would talk to me when she was cooking. She would talk to me when she was cutting an apple. She just didn't stop talking so that I would just hear as much as possible. And
0: basically... I think it's very important to point out that the, the tenets, the principles of the auditory verbal therapy method are very much about more and more talking, more and more input so that the child hears and is constantly cued to pay attention to sounds around them and to words. Um... And also that the parents really, really play a crucial role. It, sometimes people say, oh, they do ADT at school, but the, maybe the parents are, are not completely on board or can't be involved. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of factors about when someone chooses that route, how right. it goes. So that's amazing. And do you mind me asking? You don't have to answer, I don't know. edit this out if you don't like, but... Um, I'm just wondering like around what decade this was.
1: Okay. Uh, so this I was born in nineteen seventy-six, so I would say this was eighties. Okay. No problem, you know. I can't believe I'm at that age that you have to be, you know, embarrassed to ask me, you know, I don't feel so old yet. But yes. <laughs>
0: I think it puts it into context because You're right so many people, you know, are young parents and this is happening now, and they are inundated. Right. With Facebook
1: groups and with podcasts. (laughs) No, and also, listen, I also, I see it also with parents not not having to do with disability, just general parents today are, part of the problem is that they're overwhelmed with the amount of information, like how to raise a child in general, and how to be a parent. There are so many different methods out there that it's very, very confusing and overwhelming. So I'm sure also when it comes to a disability, it's the same the same issue where you just don't know what path to choose and that's why i say i am so proud of my parents that they were so obviously it was easier but on the other hand they did have a doctor who told them something else and they were just so confident in themselves and confident in me and believe me if you would meet my mother you would see what i'm talking about like i think if it wasn't for her and her strong will i wouldn't be where i am today i totally give her i always say my mother my mother always corrects me and said it's me and your father but you know my mother was with me most of the time. My father was working. I am nothing against my father. he's a great, He is a great father. But I do remember my mother play, playing the main role. And it was that confidence that she had. And she had it from, from the day that she decided. She didn't have it from the beginning. But she went, when she made a decision, she had that confidence. And I think it's important for parents in general, that's what I teach in my classes, is to have confidence in yourself and whatever you choose. You're the parent. You decide if you choose this way or that way. But when you decide, be confident in your decision because you're the parent. You get to decide your children. Yeah. So I, yeah. I and
0: another really- part of that. You know, when you're saying that she decided and she was committed, you know, to that journey, that means probably that you had your hearing aids in all day long. Definitely. You made every appointment, Definitely. you know, all of those kind
1: of like, if you're on it, you're, you know, you're 100%. Exactly. And that was my mother, 100%. So I really, really admire her till today. Like, I have the shivers when I think about it. I admire her till today, um, when I think about it. And um, it's true, because when my triplets were born, um, people gave me advice. And you know what? I didn't have, um, there wasn't so much, it wasn't Facebook yet. We weren't as connected. But I had people commenting me, telling me, you need to do this. You need to, like, different advice, different opinions. The teacher in the gun, the kindergarten telling me what she thought, and automatically they see triplets oh uh, what week were they born oh that's why he's behaving that way that like it was right away and i didn't have that confidence and that that's when it started to be hard for me because that's when i started hearing opinions and then it started to be harder for me and then i lost my confidence i'm very aware of it so that's why i admire my mother so much because i know how hard it can be yeah out there you know yeah. so um so going back to that like you said they always expose you to sound and hearing because if you if you pay attention, people tend to around deaf or hearing impaired children to talk less because they think, oh, well, she can't hear, so what's the point, you know? Or you don't realize they don't do it on purpose. They're not yeah. uh, doing it. I'm not talking about um parents and teachers. But I'm talking in general. If that's how people react, because yeah. they just you know they just they automatically react that way, just thinking that it's probably pointless to talk too much. They're not going to yeah. hear. And my mother always says the opposite: talk as much as possible. So. And then she says when I started talking, I didn't stop talking. You
0: know, that was yeah. the <laughs> When I, when I worked at a school for the deaf, um, you know, I, I would hear all sorts of people asking questions, oh, what's that like? And one person would would say, It must be so quiet in the lunchroom. And I said, No, you have two hundred children in a lunchroom, it's noisy. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. right.
0: <laughs> right. There's kind of this misconception that if or like all sorts of myths and right. discrimination stereotypes that go on right. so that's a big part of what we do on this show is try to bring people's stories and humanize this um right. lots of times for parents who are holding a two-week-old with news and are like what just happened what it, what does our life look like what
1: are our expectations for this child right so mm mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, so that's what I talk about a lot in my class is expectation. That's the word. What are expectations for the child? And uh, I, I know that when my mother decided that that's she and her goal, like you spoke about in your other podcast was what's your goal for your children? I think that's a big part of it. And her goal was very clear to her. Like it came clear to her that she wants to raise uh, independent, a child that's going to become independent, independent adult that would be able to live her own life independently and get married, have children, have a job, have a career. And that was her, That's I know that that's what she saw. That was her vision. And that's what she was aiming for. And that's why she didn't give up. And that's why she worked so hard with me. And by the way, I have a younger brother that was also born with a hearing loss. So one day he was born, she was already on board. She already knew what to do. And she got started from day one. He had a little more hearing than me, but it was still crucial and uh, she worked with him and um, so from day one they also mainstreamed me into the regular school system and I don't remember much of it but I do remember going into first grade and she sent me to the regular Hebrew day school in the regular That my mother always said I want her to have friends and socialize with kids her age in our community that was important to my mother my mother said I don't really care about her grades I care about her social life and Before that, in order to get me into that school, she said she did not leave the principal's office until they would accept me. Like, that's how confident she was in herself. That's why I'm saying, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be the way I am now, because she was just so confident. She knew what she wanted, and she was determined to get it. And they accepted me. uh, They didn't have a choice. (laughs) And uh, basically, I remember going to the school in grade one, first grade, and I know today as a mother... Parents are always so nervous about sending their kids to first grade today. Um, is he ready? Is he ready emotionally? Is he ready, you know, um, you know, does he know his letter? Does he know his numbers? How much does he know? Is he ready? And I remember being that nervous mother as well. And my mother wasn't nervous about that. And I remember, I and I was behind. I was definitely behind. I only started to listen to when I was three, like the basics. So I was behind. And uh, she's. I remember sitting in class, and the teacher would say, "Go to page." 10 or whatever 12 I didn't know where the page was I didn't know I remember that but I do remember just checking my friend next to me or whoever was next to me looking where she went and I followed and I copied her and that sticks out in my mind till today because I'm very good at that I'm very good at looking around checking for cues and that's what I do and then I learned from that and I and I learned a lot from that and from that I want to explain a very important belief that I have that children and adults that with disabilities figure it out they really do have the capability of figuring out a lot of times more than the professionals because they're living with the disability so they need to figure it out you're not living in my body so i know what i need in order to figure out what page to go to and that's how i did it that's how i did it in school until slowly then my mother would come with me and introduce me to the teacher and tell the teacher she needs to sit in the front row and give her all the instructions and then i remember fourth grade i told my mother um please don't come with me anymore. I wanna go by myself. And I I recently said this to my mother. I said to her, Do you remember? She said, and I said, How does that make you feel? When I said that to her, she said, It was actually very hard for her. She was like, What? You wanna go by yourself? Like, even though it was in her goal and her vision, but she wasn't ready, you know, to set me. <laughs> She wasn't ready yet, you know. Yeah. But I remember myself as a child, I didn't like it when she came and introduced me and showed me and showed the teacher and I didn't like being signaled out. I didn't like being treated differently. I'd like to be treated like everyone else. And till today, even in other aspects of my life, I'm a mother of triplets. I don't want special attention. I want to be treated like everyone else. I don't want to be signaled out. And that's the same as I was as a kid. It's like, I lived with that. And I always aimed to be like everyone else and uh, pushed myself. I pushed myself a lot to do that. And this is a big part of me and what I teach. That's why it's important to share my personal story and understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, the ability
0: of children to compensate and to find what they need and the answers from other, yes. the other ways, right? But isn't that also you know, something that many of us struggle with and worry about for our patients, for our children, um, that that can be really taxing? And that there's so much listening fatigue, and that it takes so much more energy to do those things. Where you know, in another context, maybe you could have had more support, and it would have been easier to find the page because that would have been, you know,
1: more accessible to you in a way that you didn't have to fight for it. What are your thoughts on that? I didn't think I had to. I didn't feel like I had to fight for it. I just felt like I was just figuring out a way. And I, my beliefs are that I don't believe that it, life is supposed to be easy, you know. L- listen, even people without, you, not everyone has a disability, but everybody does have something they deal with or some sort of challenge. It might not be a visible disability that we see or we're aware of. People have challenges or they come from a home that's difficult, home in difficult situation. Or who knows? Everybody deals with different challenges. And life is that's life, you know, life comes with surprises, life comes with um, ups and downs and children that are put into the real life, um, figure it out a way and they become stronger and they learn from these challenges. And if that's what built me. That's what built me to who I am today was to learn and figure out different situations. Even today, I'll tell you a scary story. <laughs> also before smartphones, very quick, scary story, but turned out fine was that I we lived in Israel and I traveled. I'm trying to remember. No, I came back from Canada to Israel after a summer vacation. And I went, on the, I went in the wrong line to boarding. I went by myself. I, was, I must have been 16. And I boarded on, I was waiting in the wrong boarding line to get onto the plane. And I, so I was in the wrong boarding line. So when I gave them my ticket, they're like, hey, you're in the wrong place. There's your plane. It just took off. I missed my plane. So they sent me to another flight. They were really sweet. They sent me to another flight. I went on a different flight, and I ended up having a stopover somewhere where I wasn't supposed to have a stopover, and I ended up needing to call my mother. And I pick up the phone, and I cannot hear a thing on the phone. Now, this is before the smartphone. This is before WhatsApp and SMS, which makes life so much easier. And I picked up the phone. I couldn't talk to my mother. I ended up asking a stranger to talk to my mother. I'm just giving that example that I I asked a stranger to help me out. Like I figured out a way. Obviously, it wasn't something that I would have liked to happen. But I, the fact that I knew what to do and I knew how to cope with the situation comes from the place of always having to try to figure out and cope with the situation. And you never know when a challenging situation is going to come up. And I find even children that are healthy and well, we want them to learn and know how to deal with challenges that come along the way. And parents are always asking me, but what's my role as a parent? They want to jump in and help. They want to give the kids more. They want to. But then the children are becoming more and more dependent on us and not independent. And I want to raise independent children. Starting from uh, cooking their own food in the kitchen. Oh, but no, but the fire is hot. It's dangerous. Okay, you're the mother. You'll decide from what age. Are you going to let them from the age of 10 or are you going to wait till they're 15? You know, you decide. You're the parent. But really, I also believing and understanding that children are capable of so much more than what you see and then what we know. We're more afraid, but really, they, they really are capable of so much more. But they feed off of our fears. That's so true. Okay. And then I wanted to ask you about
0: that day that you said, don't come with me anymore. Right. Did you uh, do the self-advocacy of, I need to sit in the front and all of that? Or did you not want any, you didn't want to speak about it or address it?
1: Like how, how did it go then? So I did, I did ask for the seat cause I knew that I needed it. I knew that I needed to sit there and in order to hear, I did need that. So I was, I wasn't in, in denial okay. that I needed it, but yeah. I liked being able to take care of myself. Yeah, that's exactly. So I just wanted to get that because
0: you know, it's one thing to say, don't come with me and then go sit in the back and isolate.
1: But you were ready to say, don't come with me. I got it for myself. And and you know what? This was a class that the kids knew me and I knew them. Yeah. And I think being in a regular society, that's what happened. They learned me and I learned them. Yeah. Now, when I made Aliyah and I moved to Israel in grade nine, 14 years old, another challenge. <laughs> and it's. I went up, I also told my mom, uh-uh, I don't need your help. I'm 14, right? I'm a big girl. So I went to a Hebrew day school. So my Hebrew was very, I, you know, the level was very, very minor, limited. But I knew how to read and write, but like, not the le- nowhere near the level that I needed. Mm-hmm. But I knew enough to ask for the front seat. And the girls looked at me and said, no, we're sitting And they wouldn't give me the front seat. And I could not believe it. I was in shock, like that they wouldn't give me the front seat. So I was so upset that I had to go up to the teacher and ask Kurt. And I really, really was disappointed that I had to do that, that I couldn't just do it on my own without the teacher's help. But I did that. Like I did do that. First of all, the new language and the uh, acoustics of those classrooms were horrible. So I, but I did advocate for myself and push myself in the front, and I was determined to learn the language, to learn the, and slowly, slowly, the class learned me and I learned them. And slowly, I made friends and slowly, slowly, I overcame the challenges. And I graduated high school properly. And I won't say that I didn't get help. I did get help. I'm not against getting help, but I feel that the help came from me asking for the help. When Mm -hmm. the responsibility is in you, it's not my parents. First of all, my parents had no idea what was going on in school. Also, their Hebrew wasn't great. And they were just busy trying to settle in the country, finding jobs, paying the bills, learning the language. So they were not involved. And I think it's very good that they were not involved because I looked out for myself and I really believe that in general with parents and children. I have children of my own. When it's their responsibility, then they ask for the help. And I always tell them, you want help, I'm here to give it to you, of course. But it needs to come from them if they want it. But then they can use it to the maximum. Yes, I'm listening.
0: (laughs) My six-year-old is going to first grade in the fall, God willing. Hopefully that school will be
1: open. Let's see. (laughs) I know, right? That's another uh, challenge that we're dealing with today. Yeah. Yeah. But just remember, just to address that to a child going to school, and I'm going back to that natural instinct of children they want to learn. It's interesting because I'm reading actually a really good book now. It's called uh, The Giver of Stars. Anyway, it's very cool because it talks about it in 1930 and these four women are giving, there's no library and they're giving, they make it their mission to go around giving out books to families like all over scattered around town and they don't have money and they, this is what they do. They're like it's a traveling library. Wow. And, and it describes how, this is like before, like we don't realize how good we have it today. And, she, and it describes how these children run up, they go with horses from town to town. Like they spend days traveling to give these books to these families. And the children come running out of the house for the books. And they can't wait to see the books. And it just remind you of the children's natural desire to learn. And we forget, they felt so privileged to have a book, so privileged to be able to learn. And I want to go back to that inner desire of our children I believe that every child has that and it reminds me of when my older children were sitting and doing homework and my little ones said oh I want homework too I want homework too like why do they want homework because they want to learn they also want to learn yes so to remember that it's like learning to read is opening up a whole new world for them it's exciting mm-hmm. oh my gosh I love it I feel very connected to your message <laughs> This is, this, is that. And this is what I teach in my workshops, in my classes. I try to pass this on to parents. And I find that today lots of parents are struggling because uh, many children tend to be struggling as well. And then when we see our children struggle, of course it makes us nervous, it makes us worried, it makes us scared, it, you know, and then it makes us want to do more for them. And my mother says to me, you think I sent her to school? And she said that when we made Aliyah in Israel, I remember going for my hearing aid adjustment and it wasn't good. I was 14, so I was aware. And I was very, very used to the very professional hearing adjustment in, in, in Toronto. And I very attached to them and I liked the way they do it. It was very hard for me to come to Israel and have somebody else touch my hearing aids. Yeah. And, and they did not do a good job. Now, again, this is back in 1990. And uh, I remember going to school Everything was so loud. Like they did it too loud. Like put a cup on the table and my head would jump. It was just horrible. But my mother says, I sent her to school. I made sure. She told me she can't hear. She told me that it's, it's not comfortable. I sent her to school anyway. And she said, you think I didn't feel bad? Of course I felt bad. But I knew that she had to go to school and I knew she shouldn't miss a day of school. And that was my mother. Like she sent us to school and the only time we stayed home was maybe if we had fever. Only if you had fever and you can prove that you're sick. Otherwise there was no excuse. The yeah. thing the hearing. So the point is that she's sending me out there to figure it out, to make the best of it. And, we, and like I was going back to saying that our kids struggling, we tend to jump in and try to do everything for them. It's a dynamic that you get pulled into and yeah. it's hard to get yourself out of it. So that's what I do in my workshop. I help parents get themselves out of this dynamic and help invite your children to come and to pursue their potentials. Yeah, I mean, I think exactly the word, you know, when you started
0: talking about struggle, that's exactly the underlying belief that so many parents have is that they don't want their child to struggle or suffer, which of course we don't want that for anyone. But like you come back to the realism and say, well, this is what we have. So what are we going to do about it now? Instead of looking at it as
1: a struggle or hardship, I look at it as a challenge. Another yeah. challenge that we're going to overcome. Another challenge that we're going to learn from and grow from. It just changes your perspective and how you look at that. You know, it's funny. Many times in these conversations,
0: we use the uh, metaphor of exercise, right? You have to work out the muscles so that they get strong. And if you don't, then they get weak. Like the same with the hearing. We want to work right. out the brain. Exactly. Like we use that all the time. But Recently, I actually started exercising <laughs> in a more right. like, regimented way. And I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> right.
1: And you really have to work at it, right? And not really Exactly. Totally. It's a so, great example. And it's <laughs> <a> great <laughs> example. metaphors. I'm applying them to my exercise. Yes. But it's a great example. But it's the same thing. I would say um, life is like a gym. You know, we go to the gym to work on those muscles and to strengthen them. I remember my son, who's now I'm um, 20. And he, pretty well, as a teenager, I don't know, he was sorry to say this, hope he doesn't, you know, get offended, but he was pretty lazy. <laughs> okay, really, really lazy and did not move. Okay. And when he started joining the gym, I have to say I was shocked. Like, I never believed it would ever happen. That's just another example of you never know where your kids are going to end up. Like, it's amazing. It's beautiful to see. So, anyways, he started joining the gym after never doing anything. I mean, he failed flunk sports in school, okay? Never did any type of sport. And he decided he wanted to join the gym. And I said, great. And it had nothing to do with me, you know? I just paid for the membership. And uh, other than that, oh my God, he put himself on such a strict schedule and on a diet. And I mean, I'm still, I look at him today and I'm still shocked. And this is a very, unbelievable but he worked hard, and it was hard like he would be there for a month and he still didn't see a change and it didn't stop him it just he, he just knew it takes time you don't stop after a month you take time and then you have to upkeep it so it's right. work it's work yeah. in the process and the same thing is life life you go into life and it's all a gym and the children learn from life they learn from school situations they learn from family situations They've learned from all these situations. If we keep jumping in and helping them, they're not going to learn how to do it on their own. To be independent and to be confident and to be able to solve problems on your own. And it's hard for parents to see their kids struggle. Right? They don't look at it as a struggle. Look at it as a learning experience. They're going to learn from this and they're going to grow from this. And it's the same at the gym, like you said. But okay, I just do
0: have to take with you, yeah. you know, the other side of this, which is, you know, this works... For like up until a point, because you're also
1: not going to take a child and throw them in a pool. And when when you know it, what? There, someone just told me, it's funny that you say that, but someone just told me there is a method that does that. No, I think okay. I'm trying to see which mother told me this. She said that her swimming teacher said not to put on those floaties on the arms because then they're depending on the floaties and they're not learning how to swim. So there are methods that do that, by the way.
0: Okay, but also you won't throw them in without an adult nearby. You know, you're still gonna there's still gonna be some structure that helps them that holds them. It isn't gonna be, you know what? There's the ocean. Have at it. (laughs) So of course there's still place and much value for services and for all the rehabilitation that we do for, you know, for anyone with any kind of disability. And and that's the thing about hearing loss where it overlaps with disability in a lot of ways. And then it's also outside of in other ways, you know. And, and it's important to acknowledge that we have a, a lot of uh, patients, a lot of listeners where the, the deafness or hearing loss is maybe the sixth or seventh problem, or maybe once mm-hmm. a problem, right? Something they're dealing with right. medically, intellectual disabilities, and other things that are really, you know, at play. So, as much as I appreciate and, and really respect this approach, uh, we we just need to also say there's it's not for every child that they're going to you know like that okay. everything is like a challenge for them that we can overcome sometimes there are things that we're gonna have to give services for
1: <laughs> okay but i just would like to say even my parents got the, i mean i went to speech therapy you know once a week for many years i did a benefit from those services yeah and okay and just just to add to that, though, and especially with intele- any kind of disability, the truth is we really, really don't know what a person is capable of doing, including your children. So even if you are going to this, you know, um, to get help and to these services, but don't limit, you don't know what they are capable of doing. Like, don't decide for your child what he, where he can reach and what his limits are. And you, you do not know. We're, we're not God. We do not know what our children's limits are. Even based on experience, it's, every child is different. And every child, some children will push further and reach. And, and it just, it's very, very important to go in it open-minded and, know, and just keep the doors open. Knowing that he is capable of so much more than what he is showing you. Whether or not you're getting services or not, just know that he is capable of so much more. And he naturally wants to. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a natural desire to want to try as much as possible to join the society, you know, just like a healthy child does when he starts to walk and fall and talk. Like you said
0: before, that it's our fear that we are not capable. In the same exact line, parents are more capable than they know for themselves. That's, of course. Yeah.
1: And and also, you're living with a disability, they will need to figure out, and sometimes sometimes just letting go of the rope a little bit, just to, you know, let them explore, let them try, like, I once saw a video of someone with CP and I don't remember his name. Sorry, I don't remember. But he explained that when he was getting ready for school one day and his mother just, you know, he was in his room doing it by himself and she would not come to help him. And it took him a long time to get his socks on and a long time to get him. And he did it. She just waited and waited and waited. So, like, she was able to do that, you know, to give him the time, all the time he needed to get dressed, to do that. But like you said, you have that fear and you don't want them to struggle. And, and the other hand is knowing that if they do succeed in doing it, it's an amazing accomplishment for them. So being able to, you know, take a step aside, it's, it's a big, it's hard. Telling a parent to take a step aside yeah. is hard. You know, that's sometimes is the hardest thing. You know, you want to jump in help, but sometimes the best thing is not to.
0: Wow, you're absolutely right. I hope that many of the listeners Yes, so. inspiration and you know get a little confidence for themselves in their abilities and the opportunities for their children
1: right right definitely would you
0: i mean you've already given us so much advice but if there's like one message you want uh,
1: the takeaway to end us off what would you say i would say uh, to have is nothing wrong with having um high expectations Okay. Um, don't put a stamp on your child. Even with all the diagnoses and all the things that are written about him, there's still so much more beyond. We ourselves do not uh, pursue our potential. So our children definitely don't, uh, can reach much more than what you see. Like that's my main line is that they what you see is not all there is. There's so much more. So don't put a stamp on him and um don't limit your expectation why not raise expectations you know i have a teacher that taught my children in kindergarten nursery school when they're three she taught them the body parts like i know the mouth and then she said you know what she told me she said i also threw in there the organs and i taught them the organs the heart i couldn't believe my three-year-old twin came home knowing their lungs their heart it was unbelievable she said yeah i th- i push up a higher level i teach it they get it, they get it, they don't go, but I always give them a little higher, you know, always aim for a little higher and don't be afraid to aim for higher. Mm-hmm. That's okay. And it's up to them. If they want to, they'll take it. If they don't, they won't. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. I have a question for you. Yes.
0: Yeah. Have you looked into cochlear implant surgery? Is
1: that... Oh, so I, about you? That. I wanted to talk about that as well. I have two cochlear implants. I did them oh. as an adult. When did you do that? I totally like it, came into my head to talk about it. And then, you know, we got distracted. Okay, this is what I thought about it when we were talking about the phone, and I would have to get the phone. Anyway, thank God I'm able to use a phone. Okay. And generally, I'm able to use a phone. And when the triplets were, I don't remember how old, but I had the baby who was a year and a half. He was, left, he was 11 months. Okay. First, he was 11 months, and I couldn't hear. Like, my hearing went down drastically. My good ear. Became really bad. So I was like, I could not hear on the phone at all. I could not make a single phone call, which was really hard for me because like I said to you, I like to be independent. I like to take care of myself and I lost that and there was no WhatsApp and SMSs then, So that was really hard. I remember calling my mother saying, I need your help to make phone calls. And I really didn't like that. That's one thing. Um, I couldn't, now my parents wanted me to do the cochlear implant when I was in high school. I didn't want to do it because me... Miss independent, wants to be like everyone else, doesn't want to do an, a, a surgery. I felt like I was doing so well. I don't need it. And anyway, so with the triplets and then another one, is that was good when you're, not in, when you're not responsible for other people. and You're only responsible for yourself. Mm-hmm. When you have children and, for example, you're, you can't hear them unless they're in the room with you. So if I'm washing dishes, I couldn't hear. This is with the hearing aid and this is before I lost more hearing. I couldn't hear from one room to the next. They're playing in one room, I'm in one room, I don't hear them. I'm washing the dishes, I don't hear them. Like I did not hear that. I walk home thumb down with them, I couldn't hear what they were telling me. It was like I told them you have to wait till we get home and then you'll tell me, We will sit down and then you tell me. Like all oh, these situations that I just couldn't hear them and I, and I did feel a little helpless. Like I did feel like this isn't good. I don't feel I have control. I have four little children and I really didn't feel like I can handle the situation. So that was one and then my hearing went down drastically. And then I said, that's it, I have to do a cochlear implant. There was no choice. And I went to do it. My baby was 15 months old. And I, I booked a surgery like almost right away. It was 11 when, we, when I decided. When he was 15 months old, I did the surgery. And I only did it in one ear to start with. Mm-hmm. It wasn't common yet to do both ears at once. Mm-hmm. So I did one ear and it was life-changing. Life-changing. Like I thought I was doing so well before the hearing aid. I realized how much I was missing. And, um, hearing the children from one to the next, I was toilet training them they will call me from the bathroom. I'm finished. I could hear them. I could come, you know, and like you said, that before you mentioned like listening, it can be very tiring, and I didn't realize how much energy I put into listening. I didn't realize it. I wasn't aware of it because that's what I did. but um, once I did the cultural implant, i was like, "Oh my God, the sound just comes to my ear. It's like that's what I felt like. I felt like, it's here, I don't have to like." you know, work hard to hear it. It was unbelievable. I, I could not believe it. I was like, why didn't I listen to my parents and do this sooner? Uh, lots of sound. I could walk with them to gun and hear my kids talking to me and telling me stories and hold their hand and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I could hear the birds. I could hear my fa- husband chewing on his food, which I never heard before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you want to hear him chewing this
1: food? Now, now you're, it's amazing because your brain gets used to it. You don't hear it anymore. Beginning, it was so loud. I was like, I can't eat if <laughs> you're too loud. Yeah. So um, it, was, it was pretty amazing. It was also, I realized that I wasn't um, hearing people's names properly. I discovered that one of my husband's uncle's names, I thought it was Jerome. It was Jerome. <laughs> it was like, it was just, we just like, I'm discovering new sounds all the time. Wow. And then how they, soon, did you do the second one? Right. The second one I did a few years later. I don't remember the exact amount of years in between that but it was a, quite a few years later. And now of course they say I don't know how I did just with one. I mean with two it's it's amazing. It's amazing. But it's life changing. Completely life changing. I don't think I could do Zoom if I didn't have the cochlear implant. And yeah. I have to say that in the beginning of the corona already a while ago people said to me, Why don't you try doing Zoom so you can reach people out of Israel, you know? And I was too scared to. I didn't think I could do it because of the hearing. And now Corona just threw it at my face that you don't have a choice I had three groups going at the same time I couldn't I didn't want to cancel them I had to move them to zoom and I just did it I just you know Hashem threw us this challenge and I did it and I overcame it and I did it and I'm, I'm still, so, I'm very proud that proud of myself that I was able to I actually enjoy it I see everybody's face yeah do you have the audio streaming here conference? Like then it goes direct, like the no, phone. I don't you know. have that. I have, yes, I have for only for one ear, I have it. The other one, it doesn't come with it. Like it's not an, um, an advanced enough version. Yeah. So I didn't have it. So I only have with one ear and I use it to talk on the phone and I use it to watch or listen to music. That's a huge, that's a new one for me. I just bought it like a few months ago. So it's huge. I get to listen to music while I'm cooking, while I'm you know exercising, it's very good. Thank you so
0: much for sharing your message with us today. I'm going to link in the show notes, your Facebook page. If anybody would like to reach out to you and again, thank you for coming and sharing your message with all of us. My pleasure. It was great to meet you. Great thank to you talk all to you. listeners of the all about audiology podcast. You can find full transcripts of every episode at allaboutaudiology.com. Come and join us on Instagram, on Facebook. Thank you so much for being a listener. I'm Dr. Lilach Severstein and this is the All About Audiology podcast.